Hi, welcome to Calvary HSM. We exist to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? You doing good? Woo! It's a good crowd this morning. Uh, okay, I want to know, who would you have do the halftime show if you could choose? Who got? Just like, let's get this one out of the way, because I feel like there might be a lot. Raise your hand if your answer was Taylor Swift. Oh, okay. Fair play. Sorry, sorry to make you raise your hand alone in the room. She's already there. The, the dramatic stakes would be crazy. Someone say Selena. Okay. Who else? SZA, popular. Anybody else? Let me ask a, a differing question. How many of you decided, okay, wait, um, who do you got for the game? Do you want the Chiefs? The Niners. Now, how many of you made your decision because of Taylor Swift? <laughs> it's going to be a wild game. Uh, it's going to be fun watching it here at HSM. I'm just saying, I hope uh, that a lot of you come and join us. It's going to be good. There's going to be barbecue. There's going to be games. If you're not like a football fan, we, we got you covered. Uh, we've got commercial bingo. We're going to have the nine square out. We'll do we'll have the Nintendo Switch going. Like, There's something for everyone at this party. It's going to be a blast. Um, if you guys don't know me yet, my name is Drew Walton. I'm the high school pastor here at HSM. I love you guys uh, with so much of my heart. Um, and we've been in this uh, six week, we're in week three of a six week series on the book of Daniel. And I've been loving this series. Uh, Sophia uh, brought an amazing message last week. There's Sophia and crushed it. Uh, and we get to dive back in today. But here's my question. Here's something that I was thinking about. Um, yesterday, we got to celebrate my dad's birthday. He turned 67, which is awesome. Love my dad. Uh, and it was a great time. We hung out. We did a big meal. Uh, we uh, played Uno with the niece and nephew, the little, the little kids, his grandkids. Uh, it's just a great time. But I was thinking about like dad wisdom. You know how dads oftentimes have like little one-liners of wisdom that they say? Anybody? Anybody got any like dad wisdom from their dad or like a father figure in their life or even a mom, just like parental wisdom? Any little, what's that? <laughs> I said dad figure or mother or parental figure. I covered all the bases. Anybody got any like good dad wisdom that they got over the course of their life? I'll share mine in a sec. Yeah, what you got? <laughs> I'm going to repeat a version of what he just said. He uh, said, what's like a fart? Decisions? Or just life? He said, life or situations are like a fart. If you got to force it, it's probably expletive. Um, which, I mean, that's kind of good advice, honestly. Anybody else? Anybody got like good dad wisdom from their life? What you got? Oh, you don't just marry the, I'll say person, you marry the family, right? Because there's girls marrying guys, they marry into his family as well, right? Uh, you don't just marry the person, you marry the family. What you got? Wear your heart on your sleeve, right? Anybody else? Gosh, I love dad wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> he said, if at first you fail, maybe parachuting isn't the thing for you. Okay, one more in the back, what you got? Stranger danger. Honestly, sometimes true. Um, here's the one that my dad always used to say. And honestly, it's served me very well in life. Like even when I was a little kid, here's what my father used to say to me. He used to say, in all circumstances, Drew, it's not about what happens. It's about how you react. 
Anyone ever heard that one? It's not what happens, it's how you react, right? And like the, the thought of that is there are situations, circumstances in your life that you have no control over, right? Like we would all prefer that we have control over everything in our lives, but the reality is we live in a world full of people um, that all have free will and we live in a world full of things that just kind of like happen, right? Like natural disasters, uh, misfortune befalls us, all sorts of things. And so his whole thing was, it's not about what happens, right? Sometimes you can't control what happens, but what you do have control over is how you react. It's not what happens, it's how you react. And honestly, so many times in my life, something will come unexpectedly into my situation and what echoes through my brain is the voice of my dad saying, it's not what happens, it's how you react. And that really helps me to like click back in and contemplate and calculate my next move, right? Because that's what I have control over. I have control over my response. I have control over my decisions. I have control over certain things, but not all things, right? And, and in life, really, sometimes it's about like controlling the controllables, right? Like I meet up with a lot of you guys either at uh, Live in Love or like one-on-ones, especially a lot of you guys. And a lot of times we talk about like controlling the controllables in life, right? Like there are some things that are out of your control, but there are some things that God's empowered and enabled you to do in your life. And so we control the controllables, but also we have to be nimble when things come our way that we don't have any control over. And the reality is we all have unexpected things come our way in life, right? Like maybe your like training is going really well. Maybe you play a sport, right? And it's like going really well and you're getting scouted and all of that. And then you tear your ACL, right? Like that's, that's, I mean, like maybe it's like, maybe it's like, could you prevent it with like stretch? Maybe, but like sometimes things just happen unforeseeable and you don't have control over that. You just get to control your reaction to it, your response to it. Or maybe you're in a relationship with that guy or that girl and it's going really well and you're feeling great about it. And it's like, we're going to go the distance, all of that. Like we're going to wind up getting married. We're going to have a house and 3.5 kids and the whole thing. And then they come and they break up with you right? They're like, hey, I don't think that we should see each other anymore, right? Like, that's not something you have control over. It's just a circumstance that happens to you, and you get to measure your response. Or maybe, like, let's say, like, you've got a job, and you're, like, saving up for a big trip. Maybe you're, like, a senior, like, senior trip with the friends. We're going to backpack Europe, right? And it's like, and you're saving for the job, and you've just about got enough money, and then your car breaks down. And it's like, there goes all that money, right? Like, sometimes there are circumstances that come into our life um, that are totally out of our control, right? It's not like you made a mistake and got yourself into this situation. It's just sometimes things come our way and they're totally out of our control and we have decisions to make about how we respond to them. Amen? Right? And it's like you can respond very poorly, right? And like maybe it'll feel good in the moment to throw a tantrum or whatever, but it probably won't get you the results you want in the long term. Or you can really measure your response, think about like your best next right move, all of that. All of that's important, like controlling the controllables. But my question, what I want us to jump into today is what about when circumstances come along um, that don't just threaten like our preferences, our goals, our dreams, our desires. Like what about when circumstances come along that threaten our relationship with and our faithfulness to God, right? Like we're in this series, six weeks long. It's called Yes, I Will. It's through the first six chapters of the book of Daniel. And the question we've been asking every week is how do we make decisions What do we do? How do we conduct ourselves when the culture around us becomes at odds with the kingdom of God within us, right? Like how do we navigate those difficult situations? And the question for today is what about when circumstances out of our control come along that threaten our relationship with God or our faithfulness to him? And so 
my question really is like, when you find yourself in the middle of an unexpected situation, like when the world says something is right that God says is wrong very clearly, right? Like how do you negotiate that? When there's all of this kind of like voice, this pressure around you, and it's like, no, this thing is good. And you're like, I don't know. Like I'm feeling a conviction in my spirit and I'm looking in God's word and, and God says not good. And everyone around me says, good, I have a decision to make. Like how do I navigate that? Or like when faithfulness to God himself is looked down on or even in certain places in the world, in certain contexts, is dangerous. Maybe there's a personal cost to having a public relationship with God, to even believing in God. Like, how do we navigate those situations? And so that's what I want us to jump into today in the book of, Ch- of Daniel in chapter 3. But first, it's important, I want to contextualize this morning with a little recap from chapter 2 that Sophia led us through so well last week. So are you guys with me? Okay, so here's the recap. Like, if we're, like, watching the show, like, previously on, I don't know, Outer Banks, right? Like, previously on whatever the show is. This is the previously on section. So in the week prior, you've got Daniel, you've got his boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Like, Babylon has besieged, has taken over the Israelites. They've been conscripted into training to basically become guys in the service of Babylon, in the service of Babylon's king, Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, he's kind of this like really crazy, really intense, megalomaniacal, power hungry, um, dominating force that just wants to take over the world and spread his empire, right? And in the week prior, in chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and the dream troubles him profoundly. And in the dream, what he sees is a giant statue, right? And the giant statue has a head that's made of gold, has chest and arms that are made of silver, has a belly and thighs that are made of bronze, has legs that are made of iron, and feet that are made of iron and clay. So he has this dream, and it's kind of like he awakes from the dream, and he's troubled, and he's like, this was one of those dreams that wasn't just a dream. Like, I know that there's like a supernatural, profound meaning to this. Like, I'm troubled, I'm worried, I'm anxious. And so he gathers all of the magicians and sorcerers in the land, and he's like, basically, he puts them on, on blast. And he's like, here's the deal. I need you to tell me what the dream was. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You have to tell me what the dream was, and you have to interpret the dream for me. And if you cannot, I will kill all of you. I will have you ripped apart, literally, from limb to limb, right? And so they're in trouble big time. And so God blesses Daniel, who's faithful to him, with the ability to interpret dreams and even tells him the dream itself. And so Daniel is able to tell the king, this is what you dreamed of, this statue made of all these different materials, and the statue represents empires, basically. It represents kingdoms. And the golden head, that is your kingdom, right? But the kingdom that comes after you, the power that comes after you is going to be a little less powerful than you. And then the one that comes after that is going to be a little less powerful. And after that, a little less powerful. And finally, when we get to the feet, we're going to have divided kingdoms, right? It's about succession. It's about weakening kingdoms, but you're the golden head. And so he, he tells him the dream. He interprets the dream to him and the king is amazed. And so actually Daniel and his friends are promoted to be rulers over Babylon, right? Like they're given very very high positions, very important, powerful positions. And that is where our story picks up today. Check this out. In Daniel chapter three, verse one, it starts with this. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high 
and six cubits wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So here's what you need to recognize about this. First cubits, just to like translate for modern audience. A cubit is about one and a half feet, right? So when it says 60 by six, what you should picture is 90 by nine, right? Um, and what this is, um, is a statue, um, but it's not just any statue, it's the statue from Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the chapter before, right? Only it's built different than the dream. He builds the entire thing out of gold, right? The gold represents his kingdom. It, it represents his empire. Now, you might be thinking 90 times 9. Those are weird dimensions. So think, I heard someone explain it like this once. Um, think less Statue of Liberty. Think more Washington Monument, right? Like it's kind of like a tall obelisk-like figure, most likely had a face at the top, like sort of like a humanoid figure, but tall and narrow. And he puts it out on the plains of Dura, where there's tons of open land around it, covers it in gleaming gold so that when it catches the sunlight, it shines to all around it. And basically what he's doing, basically what he's saying is like, yeah, I, I see that dream, but now that I have the information, I can avoid what like thus saith the Lord, right? Like I can change it. And what he's saying, what he's kind of like lying in the sanding about is he's saying, my kingdom is the eternal kingdom. My kingdom is the ultimate power. My kingdom is gold and it will last forever. All of those other kingdoms are insignificant. They are unimportant. They will never be because Babylon will reign forever. He builds the statue from his dream, but makes the whole thing of gold. And he's making a statement. He's declaring something, right? And so here's how it proceeds. He then summoned the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So, when the king orders something, you say yes. So, the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. So picture with me, if you will, like the biggest, the grandest ribbon cutting ceremony you've ever seen, right? Like it's the grand opening. It's a big thing. It's like we just built Disneyland for the first time and there's a big ribbon out front and they have all the press there, right? Or like whatever the thing would be. Like we're going to have like a huge public event today, the Super Bowl, right? Like this Super Bowl halftime show and all of like the media is covering the Super Bowl, all of the predictions leading up to it, like all the pomp, the circumstance, like all of the preparations that's gone into it. That's kind of the vibe of what's going on. He's literally invited and mandated that every important person in his empire, the greatest power in all the world, has to be present on this wide open field, the plains of Dura, in front of this gleaming golden statue that he's dedicating to himself, ultimately, and his own power. And so he's got this a beautiful statue. Uh, he's also got like the finest musicians. That's going to come into play in a sec. He's got the finest musicians in all the world there. So imagine it's like, basically it's like he got like Beyonce or Taylor Swift, if you're a Swifty or whoever, who's, who's like the greatest musician or like the toughest act in the world right now? Who would you say? Who? SZA. 
It's a lot of SZA love in the room today. SZA. Let's just imagine like anybody you could name, they have all been brought to this event, this ribbon cutting, right? So it's like they've got all the biggest people. They're going to cut the ribbon on this thing. They're going to christen it, right? Like the big cruise ships where they like swing the champagne bottle in the front of it. It explodes and everyone's like, yay, cruise ships, right? Like that, that sort of a thing. He's got the finest musician. Maybe they've got like hors d'oeuvres, right? Like the choice food. He's a big choice food guy, right? He puts his um, prisoners on like the king's table diet right? So maybe they've got like servers coming around with appetizers of like whatever the finest Babylonian cuisine is. I'm imagining maybe there's like swag bags on the way out for the important people, right? It's like a fresh set of beats and a Polaroid camera and I don't know, a Gucci bag or whatever, right? Like they put a lot into this. This is a nice event. They've got all the celebrities in the empire, all the most influential people. It's like you've got all the, like the TikTok stars with their phones ready to post, right? They're going to live stream this thing. It's the biggest deal. They've got all the government officials, and then they've got everybody else who is uh, able to get to the plain of Dura, is there for the dedication of this statue. He's gathered everybody. They don't know anything about the event that they're about to partake in. They just know that it's going to be big and that they're supposed to be there. And so they get there, and it says, then the herald proclaimed loudly. So the herald is like basically the announcer. Think the MC. He's like your Ryan Seacrest, or you're like whoever is like hosting the things, right? Like they get the best in the biz. He comes to the front, and he proclaims loudly. So here's what he says. He comes in front of everybody, and he says this. Nations and people of every language. Remember, Babylon is an empire. They've taken over other countries, other nations, and absorbed them, assimilated them into their empire. So they've got people from every tongue there. You can imagine maybe they got like translators, maybe like people doing sign language if they had that in the ancient world of some sort, right? Like they've, they're, they're pulling out all the stops. They want everybody to know what's about to happen. Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, right? As soon as the musical act starts, as soon as the halftime show begins, in other words, as soon as you hear that, you all must fall down and worship that image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has put up. In other words, he's testing loyalty here. He's set up this monument to himself, to his empire, to his power. He's gathered everybody. He's putting on the pressure heavy. He's got the best musical acts. He's got all of the government there, all of the influential people, and he gets everybody there. And what he says is, as soon as the music starts, what you're commanded to do is essentially bow to me and my power and agree that my kingdom is the eternal kingdom, that there will come no other but me, that your loyalty is to me and no one else, that I am your God. That's what he's saying, basically. He's brought them there. They didn't know what, that's what they were there for. Um, they, they get there and the herald lays it out for them. Here's what we're about to do. Bow to Babylon. Just imagine with me here that you're standing there on the plains of Dura, right? Just imagine like the tremendous social pressure happening in that situation, right? Like just imagine like you're standing there. There's likely thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people standing there. 
There are all of the most influential people. There are all the governors. All of the government is there. Um, All of your favorite influencers, the most impressive musical acts possible, Um, the finest foods, like the the power of Babylon is on display. You're excited to be there. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this person's here, right? Like you're surrounded with people. It's a huge event that you're excited to go to to find out what it's going to be. And then Nebuchadnezzar's herald tells you you're to bow down and worship him, right? There's no, there's no time to like powwow with your friends and be like, what's the play? What are we going to do, right? You're all there. It's, the pressure is on. You're all in the moment. And there's this tremendous pressure there. But not only that, the herald goes on. He says this, whoever does not fall down and worship will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace, So not only is there this incredible social pressure of like go along with the crowd, conform, be like everybody else, right? Like bow to Babylon, worship me, right? Like forsake your gods, claim your allegiance to me, to Babylon. Not only is there this tremendous pressure, but with that pressure, there's also tremendous consequence if you object. Anybody who objects, we're just going to kill you. Right, So congrats, we've made the choice for you. It should be pretty easy. We're going to tell the bands to start playing and everybody bow. Right, like That's the moment that you're in. And imagine the weight of standing there and, re- and literally realizing this could be a life or death moment for me. Right? Like I have a decision to make. Am I going to get on my knees, press my face to the dirt, and bow to Babylon and save my life? Or am I going to object? That's the moment that happens here. Babylon threatens enormous consequences. So it goes on. Here's what it says. Therefore, as soon as they heard, they being the hundreds of thousands of people who were there, as you can imagine how this story plays out. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Again, just like put yourself on the plains of Dura. It's like a sunny, hot um, desert day there. You have this impossible choice. There's no time to like calculate your next move. A tremendous pressure, tremendous consequences. And then the band starts to play, right? Like you hear the music and you look around to see what happens. And slowly you see bodies around you start to lower. Put their knees in the dirt, put their hands down, press their faces down. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. Everybody around you starts to press their face into the dirt and worship Babylon. You can imagine you'd be feeling the pressure, right? Because if you're left standing, that's easy to pick you out of the crowd and be like, to the furnace with you, right? Like, that's like, just like visually easy to see who is objecting, right? So you feel the pressure, you know the consequences. There's no time to like run over to your friend and be like, what do you think? Should we like bow down and ask for forgiveness later? Like, do we, like, what's our play, right? It's just you and your convictions and God and Babylon. That's the circumstance that our guys find themselves in the midst of. So we're jumping back into the story with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
And they are faced with this impossible choice. Remember, God has delivered them. God, in chapter one, they stay faithful and obedient to God, refuse to eat the, the food that's out of their covenant um, allowance with God. And they eat vegetables and water and God blesses it and makes them like super jacked off of veggies and water. Um, and they get promoted, they get favor. And then Daniel goes and interprets the dream and they get promoted and they get favor. And so these guys have become like government officials. They've had this cataclysmic, or not cataclysmic, meteoric, rise. It's like a true Cinderella story from like captives to like influencers, right? Like they've got all of this power and they've been given so many enjoyable things from Babylon. And so there's also that kind of implied pressure of like, we've been really good to you. Like we've treated you really well. Just bow down to the statue, right? And then there's all of this social pressure of everybody around them. And then there's the consequence of you, it will be your death if you object. And they're faced with this decision. They have to decide what they are going to do. And as you can imagine that this story is going to go, maybe you've heard it before, and we've been teasing that we're going into the furnace this week. They make a decision for what they're going to do of will they bow to the statue or will they not? And their answer is categorically, no, we will not bow. And they don't, right? So everybody on the plains of Dura bows and those three stay standing. And they're just like, we, we won't. We just won't. Like our loyalty has always been, like all, all of the good things that have come into us have been like maybe given by you, but because of what God's done in and through us, like our loyalty is to God. Uh, we're gonna keep hitching our wagons to him. Uh, and so our answer is no. And so as you can imagine, people notice, and it's the astrologers who do something about it. Now, back to last week, the astrologers are part of the group that were commissioned to tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream, and they could not. Uh, and if they couldn't tell him the dream, they couldn't interpret the dream. So they are indebted to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But you can also imagine that the astrologers are, A, embarrassed that they could not interpret the dream, that they couldn't tell him the dream, right? That they didn't know it, that their powers had a limit, and they couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream. They were embarrassed. It's been a shaming thing to them. And they're jealous that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got promoted to administrators. It's like, well, I wanted that, right? Like, you made us look bad in front of Nebuchadnezzar, and you got the promotion that we wanted, and we're noticing that you're still standing when the rest of us are worshiping this obelisk that Nebuchadnezzar erected to himself. And so, they go to Nebuchadnezzar and they rat out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They tell him, they're like, hey, you made a command that everybody had to bow and you'll never believe who didn't bow. It was Shadrach, it was Meshach, and Abednego, those dudes you just promoted. And so Nebuchadnezzar, never being one to be um, calm and even-tempered, um, is furious furious. He's like, I just promoted those guys. Like, I know those guys. They've impressed me. I like those guys. After everything I've done for them, I cannot believe that they would refuse to bow to me. And so he calls them in. He summons them to give them one more chance. And here's what he says. He says, Shadrach, he gives them one more chance. He's like, I'm going to give you one more shot. Um, bow down. We're going to do the music thing again. Bow down. And if you bow down, we'll pretend this never happened. If not, I've got the furnaces ready to go. It's your call. He's like, look me in the eye. I'm serious. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, 
even if he does not, we want you to know, like it's important to us that you know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up, right? They're, they're like, our God can save us, our God will save us. But it's important for you to know, like it matters to us that you know that even if he doesn't, even if we go into the furnace and that's lights out for us, that we've counted the cost and we're good with that. We will not service, we will not serve your gods, we will not worship them, we will not bow to you or Babylon. So it's important to look at what they do, right? Because this is like a critical moment where they really clearly recognize what is in their control and what is totally out of their control, right? And here's what they do. Look at it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold tightly to two things, and they hold loosely to two other things. What are the two things that they hold tightly to? They hold on tightly to who God is, right? They know who God is. They believe in him. They've seen him do what he can do before. They, believe, they hold tightly to who God is, and they hold tightly to what God can do, right? Like, they're like, we know God. We know that he loves us, that he is for our benefit, that he wants to protect and provide for us, that he wants to take care of us, that he is faithful to us, like even more faithful to us than we could ever be to him. And so we do our best to be faithful to him. We're going to hold on tightly to who God is and what he can do. We know that if we go in that furnace, God can save us. And we believe that he will save us because it's in his heart. It's in his nature to take care of the ones that he loves who love him, right? But look at what they hold loosely to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold loosely to outcomes and to the attitudes of others, right? They cannot control that, right? Like they can't even boss God around. They could go into that furnace and God's just like, no, it's your time. I wanted you to come be with me, right? Like they have no control over that. God is God. He gets to call the shots. Now they know God. They believe in what God can do. They're, they're believing like God will deliver us from this fire, but w- that's out of our control. That's his business. And if he chooses that we go in that fire and that's it for us, then we're just gonna, uh, we're gonna be at peace with the fact that that was what was best in this circumstance. And so they hold loosely to outcomes, they say, even if we go in that fire and it's lights out for us, we will not bow because we love our God, right? They hold loosely to outcomes and they hold loosely to the attitudes of other people. It's, they're like, honestly, Nebuchadnezzar, it would be great if we could have a great relationship. Like we would love that. We want that. But if you're going to force us to choose, we will choose not you 10 out of 10 times, right? Like attitudes, like the way you feel about me in the end of things is out of our control. We'll do our best to have a good relationship. Like they've been doing that, but it's like you've, you forced us into this impossible situation. And here's where we are. We're going to hold on tightly to who God is and what God can do. We're going to be open-handed. We're going to hold loosely to outcomes and the attitudes of others. See, they recognize what they can control and what they cannot control but they decide to hold fast to God when everyone else around them decides to bow down to Babylon, right? And that's what makes all the difference. So as you can imagine, Nebuchadnezzar is not pleased with this response from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He, he like wanted to go easy on them. He's like, I gave you a second chance. Like, just kind of like get on the ground. We're gonna do the music again. And they're like, don't even bother telling the band to set up for this second round. Like, we're not gonna bow. Light the furnaces, please, if you will. So Nebuchadnezzar is fuming, and the text tells us two things. It tells us that he ordered that the furnace 
be made seven times hotter than it's normally lit. Like put all of the fuel in that furnace, get it seven times hotter than normal. And he also orders that his strongest soldiers come and that they be the ones to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them in the fire. Now here's what you gotta recognize about those two commands is that neither of them are necessary at all to kill Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, right? A furnace is a furnace. If you throw someone into fire, they will burn, right? But he demands that it be made seven times hotter. And they are willing to go in the furnace at this point. And you could get anybody strong. You get enough people, you can overpower three dudes, right? You don't need the strongest soldiers to do it. What Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's trying to make a power display in the 11th hour. He's trying to scare them. He's trying to intimidate them. He's trying to, like, assert some of his dominance again. He's trying to display power in this final moment. And so it says the king's command was so urgent, right? His temper flies off the handle. He's like, do it, do it now. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers. Remember, his strongest soldiers that he got to throw these guys in, now he's lost them because his temper flew off the handle and the fire was too hot. It says the, uh, the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the three men firmly tied fell into the furnace. Now here's the thing. Our three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decide two things. They decide, you cannot force me to forsake God, which is true. Nobody can force anybody to forsake God, right? That's a personal decision, right? There can be a lot of pressure. There can be a lot of consequence, but no one can force anyone to forsake God. And they decide, you cannot force us to forsake God. And they decide, I'd rather die than bow. And so into the furnace they go. And so they're in there. And what happens next is the best part of the story. It says this, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement. Right? He's shocked. He's seen something he was not expecting to see. And he asked his advisors, he's like, Come here, are you seeing what I'm seeing? He says, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Right, like it was three, right? It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or like Daniel's off somewhere else during this story. Like we didn't put four dudes in the fire. And his advisors reply, certainly your magic, like yes, we were here. We witnessed it. We watched it. We put three dudes in the fire. Why do you ask? And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, if you're not like a Bible scholar, just keep this in mind. This is centuries before Jesus's like embodied incarnation happens, right? Like Jesus full on like spoiler alerts into this story to be with those guys in the fire. And it says immediately that they are unbound, that they are unharmed, and that they are, have an audience with Jesus, basically, in the fire. And he says that the fourth looks like a son of the gods. See, here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remain faithful to God, and God remains faithful to them. You see that? And it's not like, you can't like trick God into faithfulness. This is nature to be faithful to you, right? But they, as a loving act to God, remain faithful to God, and God, as a loving act to them, remains faithful to them. 
And Jesus shows up in this story. So Nebuchadnezzar, as you can imagine, is like, well, the furnace isn't working and I am shook to my core. And so it says Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. And so it says, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors crowd around them because everyone's like, what in the wide world just happened? Like we know it wasn't fake fire because those other dudes died just trying to throw them in there. And here's these dudes who come out, like three go in, four are witness, three come out right? And they're unharmed. It says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. All of those guys crowd around them. It says they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. There was no burns, nor was the hair of their heads singed, like their hair was fine. Um, Their robes were not scorched, right? The robes were in perfect condition. And it says there was no smell of fire on them. They didn't even smell like fire, right? Like, I, I don't know if any of you guys have, have like fire pits or anything like that, but like if you do like a fire pit night, it's like, and you're like wearing a jacket, it's like that jacket will smell like smoke for days, right? Or it's like probably just like throw it through, through the laundry. They were in the fire and it says there was no smell of fire on them. They go into the fire faithful and they come out of the fire untouched. Do you see that? And so here's what Nebuchadnezzar says. Check this out. He says, so praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like, that's crazy. I just witnessed it with my own eyes. He says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to rescue his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Like, he he was pissed a second ago. And now he's just enthralled because he's like, that's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Like, that's incredible. Like their God must be the real deal that he hooked them up like that, that he took care of them like that. Like, I'm not even mad anymore. I'm just impressed, right? He says, they trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God other than their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be, again, never one for restraint, be cut into pieces and their houses be turned to piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. Right? Like he does it the Nebuchadnezzar way. He loves violence and destruction. But notice what just happened, right? Like he The top of the story, he has set up a statue to himself and his empire and said, there are no other gods before me, bow and worship. And at the end of the story, he has now made it a law, a mandate that no one's allowed to talk trash about God. That's wild. And it's because of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's faithfulness and obedience to God. And then at the end of the story, he promotes them again. They move higher up in the ranks. It's wild. It's an incredible story. But there's so much that I want us to understand about God in this. And if you're in the band, you can start making your way back up. But check this out. Um, Here's the first thing that I want to say. Like when we take these concepts and we're like, how do I apply this to my own life? Um, This isn't about when something violates your personal preference, right? Like sometimes we're like, I don't like this thing. And so like to the furnace I go, right? Like that's not the heart of this thing, right? This is about faithfulness to God. 
about relationship with God, about the good things that God has said about how he wishes our lives to operate, all of that. So this isn't about like personal acts to grind. Like it's just people are, culture's doing things that I don't like, right? Like that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the good things of God. But here's the thing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold fast to God when everyone around them bows to Babylon, right? And my question for us, what I want us to be able to ask ourselves, because we experience moments like this, maybe not to the grandeur of a golden statue on the plains of Dura, maybe, um, but, but most likely not. But we all, like, I've heard from you guys about how this series is connecting because we feel it on a daily basis, right? Like there are moments on your campuses, in your place of work, um, in your family, um, in just the world around you, online, where you feel that conflict, where you feel that pressure, where there's all of that, everybody around me is going this way and God asks me to go that way and I have to choose and I'm feeling pulled apart. And so my question for us is if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hold fast to God when everybody around them bows to Babylon, the question is, will we, are we willing to do the same? That's the question. And so my question for you is, when faced with opposition, when faced with social pressure, when faced with consequences, will you hold tightly to who God is? Right, like when you feel that tension, when you feel that pressure, when you feel like, oh, there will be a ramification if I don't go along with the crowd, with the culture, with the people around me, with what people are pressuring me to do, what people are pressuring me to value, right? Like when I'm in that situation, not like, so I go to war, right? But will, will I hold tightly to who God is? Will I peer back into scripture? Will I go into his presence in worship and prayer? Will I remember the truth of who he is, not what people tell me about him, but what he tells me about himself? Will I hold tightly to who God is? And will I hold tightly to what God can do? You see, there are no limits to what God can do. He created all the rules um, so he can do whatever he wants with them, right? God can do anything. And I'll I'll tell you, like, I have experiences of him doing things that seem way outside of what I expected in my life. And I know some of you have stories that are similar. The scripture is full of them. And I would say when you're faced with those difficult choices, those difficult moments, remember who God is. Remember what God can do, because that's what will give you courage. That's what will embolden you, right? That's what gives us confidence. And then the next thing is when faced with opposition, When faced with social pressure, when faced with consequences, will you hold loosely to outcomes, right? Like God um, doesn't owe me anything. If anything, I I owe God everything. Uh, That's very true in my own life. And there are things I can't control. I can't control outcomes. I can't control attitudes towards me, right? Like sometimes people will just not like me because I love God. And like that seems nonsensical to me. Um, But people will have their perception of things. And you know what? I I hold that with an open hand. I never want somebody to dislike me because of my faith in God. I never um, want to misrepresent God in a way that's like that you would dislike him. I think he's so compelling. I think he's so beautiful and good and magnetic that anyone who took a close look would be drawn into him. Um, But there are people who won't. There are people who will draw a conclusion because of that. And you know what? I hold that with a loose hand, right? I can't control outcomes. I can't control consequences. I'm going to hold those loosely, but I'm going to hold firmly to who God is and what God can do. But can I tell you this, my friends? I found this to be true over and over and over again in my life. God loves to prove you right when you put your trust in him. 
He loves to do it. He does it over and over and over again. When you put your trust in God, he loves to prove you right. There's people in your life who maybe love to prove you wrong, right? They'll always call you out or point out where you were flawed in your logic or you did something not up to standard, right? But God loves to prove you right when you put your trust in him. And so my question to you is, are you willing to remain faithful to God no matter what and then see what happens? Will you say, yes, I will hold fast to God when others bow? That's the question today. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to turn to God in worship with our praise. Um, Join me. Lord, thank you so much um, for who you are and what you can do, and thank you that you love to prove us right when we put our trust in you. God, thank you for the incredible thing that you did in the lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and that you did in Babylon all those centuries ago. And God, we know that you're the same, and that you're still at work in the world today. And so... God, we pray um, that you would be glorified in our lives, that your name would be lifted high, that people would see what you do in our lives uh, and have an attitude like Nebuchadnezzar had at the end of this chapter of, whoa, I don't know who who this God is fully, but I know that he's not to be uh, messed with, that he's good, that he's powerful, um, and that he shouldn't be discredited or discounted. God, we want that um, in our lives. And so, Lord, would you help us to continue to know who you are, to see and learn what you can do, uh, so that it helps us to hold fast when others bow. Lord, we love you, and we thank you, and we give you our affection, we give you our song, we give you our praise, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We really hope it blessed you. You can connect with us on social media at CalvaryHSM805. God bless.